Hey everyone, welcome to Pop Culture Pastor, where we look at movies, music, comics, and more from the perspective of faith. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of Pop Culture Pastor. This is kind of our part two coverage of Thor. If you haven't listened to last week's episode uh, called God of Love, God of Thunder, I encourage you to go back and listen to that one. Now, as I mentioned there, I wasn't, you know, talking specifically about the movie Thor Love and Thunder because it hadn't come out yet, but now it has. And so I'm joined today by my friend Adam Byers, and we're going to be talking about Thor Love and Thunder uh, I've got an actual space Viking here. He's <laughs> wearing the the Thor uh, tank top. So yeah, welcome, Adam. You know, usually the first time I have people on the podcast, I just have them share a little bit about like their pop culture background, what got them into pop culture stuff, specifically comics. I know you're a big Thor fan, so uh, yeah, what got you into comics and other pop culture, and and what got you into Thor in the first place? Well, I think for me, it's uh, right place, right time, childhood wise. I mean. I sneaked into the 80s. I was barely in there. <laughs> okay. And so being a child growing up through the 90s, I've got I've got the full-blown over-the-top exposure for for 90s comic books where it's on every newsstand and comic book store around. You've got X-Men animated series, Spider-Man animated series, Batman animated series, like Silver mm-hmm. Surfer animated series. All these things came yep. on when I was a kid. So, uh that's my introduction to it. I've been reading comics since I was I mean since I could read. So mm-hmm. I could go into all sorts of details and anecdotes about my first couple comics, but we can save that for another time. Yes, I'm sure we, we will have another <laughs> time to get into all those sort of things. Yeah, because I also grew up a little bit older, but yeah, like the X-Men in the 90s came out right as I was getting into comics. So it was it was a good time for that kind of stuff. Some of the quality of the 90s comics is not actually that great if you go back to them now, but it was a good time to you know, to get into that kind of stuff. Uh, so Thor in, in particular, anything that you love? about Thor or runs that you've read? Well, in my, I mean, I came into Thor a little bit later in my comic book, you know, reading. Like, I was, already had pull lists and things in my local comic book store before I decided on my own. I'm going to go ahead and read something that focuses on Thor. I mean, I had read all through my high school days when they had, like, a Thor robot even that existed. Like, there's those things. But I got into focusing in on Thor with uh, Thor God of Thunder, actually, which is relevant because mm-hmm. it's a Jason Yeah, that's, Aaron. that's a lot of what I talked yeah. about last week, right? Gore, the God Butcher. and Absolutely. And so that was the first one I put on my pull list and read specifically for myself. That wasn't just a borrowed comic. But from there, I mean, I've seen so much of the expanded part of Thor's universe, of the Marvel universe in comics, whether it be, as you mentioned on your last one, about the, the Asgard in Oklahoma and mm-hmm. all the little... Uh, friends that he made there that are, uh, you know, even some of them in comics have their own, at times, Thor-like power because let's, you know, it, it was very fun and involved that way. Um, and then, of course, there's the Warriors 3 and, and and Volstagg of them is my particular favorite of his friends. So mm-hmm. um, I really like that, like his character in Thor's and Thor comics as well. Yeah, who unfortunately, the, <laughs> as we're getting into the, talking about the movies, the Warriors 3 do not really get uh, their due in the last couple movies. That's an unfortunate thing. Uh, so as I mentioned, uh, we're going to be talking really specifically about Thor Love and Thunder today. Uh, this is, you know, most weeks are, you have more of a theme uh, that we're bringing to it, but today is a little more just discussion about the movie. 
we will call back to some of the things that, that we talked about, I talked about last week, some of the themes. Uh, but generally, the way we're going to kind of outline this discussion today, we're going to talk about the movie in general, just how we felt about it, how, how it did with the characters and, and the actors, and try and avoid spoilers for the first part, you know, just things that have been in the trailer, things that uh, I mentioned last week. And then in the middle, we'll switch, and we are going to start just spoiling the heck out of the movie as much as we want so that we can talk about all the, the tiny little nerd things. Uh, and so I'll put a very clear spoiler warning at that point, and I'll put this in the show notes so you know where to skip if you haven't seen the movie yet. I've already seen it twice, so you have no excuse. You know, you've had a week at this point. Um, but then after that, we'll have, uh, as I mentioned, we'll come back and think more about the bigger themes what it means for Thor to be a god, how the, the movie itself understands Thor, well, both Thors, as gods, and uh, go from there. So, uh, I don't know, in general, what did you think about Thor Love and Thunder, overall impression? Non-spoiler review, I would say I very much enjoyed it for many of the same reasons I enjoyed Thor Ragnarok, in that like Taika Waititi's direction is really bright and colorful and fun, mm-hmm. And a, a total different tone than previous. I mean, the first two Thor movies. Right. Yeah. And I think that uh, a staunch comparison to those, which are now nearly, you know, 10 years old, both of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a little bit of time in the mirror there, but it they stand out as being good for those reasons. That humor is really on point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's like of the criticisms that I've seen of it. Like I've kind of been surprised how mixed some of the reviews are because most people's complaint is, well, it's too much like Ragnarok. It's like, well, what do you expect? Do you hire the same writer and director? You're going to get a pretty similar film. And and I think part of the reason that people love Ragnarok so much is it benefits from comparison to uh, the last two Thor movies, especially The Dark World, which is usually considered one of the, the worst of the MCU. And so, yeah, it seemed like such a f- breath of fresh air. And so... I mean, Love and Thunder really couldn't do the same thing. Like, it couldn't be a big shift. It's just going, in a sense, be more of the same, but I don't think that's as much of a flaw as as some reviewers seem to think it is. Yeah, and I mean, maybe if I could get into the mindset of the, those reviewers as someone who can often, often is taken to be the critique in the room, I could say, sure, after we've had Infinity War and Endgame, where, I mean, if you if anybody can col- you know, collectively remember back to when Ragnarok ends and then Infinity War starts, we mm-hmm. end on a like a, a bittersweet note on Ragnarok mm-hmm. after a fairly funny movie, and then we start Endgame almost like exactly where I left off, and it's devastating. So with the devastation and and just general mixed feelings coming out of Infinity War and Endgame, because yes, they they defeat Thanos and all of that, but it's still there's so much loss. And then since then we've had you know prequel movies and just and Disney Plus series sort of come into this and have like be. Uh, a, a sequel for one of the the main three, you know, our our Marvel Trinity, if if I can, <laughs> right? Yeah, you know, Thor. It it for some people, I could see why. Okay, it's kind of a shock to go back into Taika's like this is funny kind of subtle humor in parts, and then more overt humor in others. Which I want to say too is very important, and why I think these movies are good is that something that Hemsworth is so good at is facial expression. In, mm. in ways that he's, he can make humor happen without having to say anything. Yeah. And I think that Watiti has unlocked that in Ragnarok and then has brought that again with this, even as seen in trailers, you know, with mm-hmm. that scene with the Guardians in the trailer. Yeah, where he's just leaning in front of Star-Lord. And, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, that's that one of the things that people loved about Ragnarok and is still part of this, so it shouldn't be a knock on it, is, wow, Chris Hemsworth can actually be really funny, which, you know, is not necessarily the character of Thor in the comics. Really, the first couple of Thor movies are more like his actual character, but, you know, it makes a more enjoyable film, so that's not really a problem. And, you know, really both movies, both Ragnarok and Love and Thunder, they're not just jokes the whole way through. Now we're going to, in our spoilery kind of part, we'll talk about some of the more intense parts of, of Love and Thunder, but, I mean, the villain is kind of a horror villain. Um, there's there's some loss that goes on in this movie as well, and so it's not so much that it's, you know, just jokey. You know, sometimes uh, I do wonder if there's a little bit too much, like, tonal whiplash of something really sad or intense happens, and then all of a sudden you're making a joke about it, right? But you could, again, make the same complaint about Ragnarok. Um, you know, I didn't really love at the very end of the movie where like Asgard gets destroyed and, and Korg, which is, you know, the, the director's insert self-insert character is like making jokes about it, right? Like, okay, I, I get those complaints, but again, that's the last movie was the same way. So it's not like this is a step down or, or anything different. It's right. Just and, how he makes movies. And I could argue that, I mean, so much of what we see in Thor's reaction to being unable to defeat Thanos and how he is an in game I think that if you look at it, like might actually be the response you expect from someone who didn't have the proper grieving time from losing mm-hmm. their people, like having like having half of their people lost completely, right. all of his family and then, members, and all of his family members, and then of course like the Avengers losing and all of that. So like in game, yeah, it kind of makes sense almost. Like if you haven't had time to properly mourn or grieve something, mm-hmm. that you could see that level of depression come out of that, like as mm-hmm. as as he was in Endgame. and so. I mean, again, trying to get in the mind of those critics with this, I could see why, as someone who has grown through that, it would be maybe a little harder to say he's exactly the same personality as he was in Ragnarok, which is mm-hmm. kind of played off this way. Yeah. Um, while, you know, he has grown and a lot of time has passed since then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, like, it is a good growth, right? Like, in, in Endgame, you see him in this depression of, like, he's just letting himself go. And, you know, it is kind of making the case, even with all the jokes, that he still is kind of in that same place, like cutting himself off. He just doesn't want to feel, yeah, he looks awesome again. You know, uh, I mean, his arms in this movie, man. Yeah. No, no joke. <laughs> we were working out uh, right before this and I was just trying to think about Chris Hemsworth as I was trying to lift my very tiny weights compared to what he lifts. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so right, he still is in that place, and that's part of the story of the movie, right? Is him you know, how he opens himself up to to feeling things again, and so part of that, of course, comes with his relationship with uh, Natalie Portman's character Jane Foster, right? We haven't seen her in any of the movies really since the Dark World, which was uh, eight to ten years uh, ago. So what do you think about bringing her back? Now, obviously, this isn't a spoiler because it's in the trailer. She also somehow becomes Thor. Uh, she is wielding Mjolnir and uh, has the same powers as him. Uh, so what do you think about her coming back? I mean, she obviously as the actor. She's not been around, but her character has been evident in not just being spoken about, but also in Thor's demeanor as mm-hmm. part of his loss. Like, and, and, and. It's hard to say because, you know, he, he, he talks about how it's like, oh, the old X or whatever in mm-hmm. Endgame. And it, he tries to play it off as not that big of a deal because he's been around for a couple thousand years mm-hmm. and he's had so many girlfriends or whatever his excuse is. <laughs> but she's kind of been there in that degree. But that being said, to bring, I mean, Natalie Portman back and have her on set, I imagine like 
it it feels kind of like a surprise almost mm-hmm. to bring back in from a phase one phase two era character that isn't just a one-off like we've seen a couple of them come back as little one-offs on the disney plus mm-hmm. shows and they're sort of written that way but this is like oh she is important she is i mean she's yeah back. i mean she's that, Thor that's kind of a, a flaw with the early marvel movies is so many of the love interest characters are just that right like they're pretty one-dimensional and they don't get much to do and you understand why an actress of natalie portman's talent is like yeah i'm not going to just be in these movies so that i can you know be a love interest or be the damsel in distress and so yeah it's it's nice i it's not surprising that the only way they're going to get her back is like okay you're going to actually get to be a a superhero, you're going to be a Thor as well. And she got to, I think, have a little more fun, you know, since it is a fun movie. And you don't think of Natalie Portman being a comedic actress very much. Um, I did enjoy those those SNL skits. I don't know if you remember that that song yeah. uh, from back in the day. But, yeah, so she's got she's got some comedy chops, and I think she did a pretty good job with that. I don't know, did you think that they, Chris Hemsworth and Natalie Portman, have a lot of chemistry? How did, you know, just the way their relationship plays out in general i mean honestly i i don't i don't feel that they do you know yeah i think that a lot of that is just and and they'll play it off as awkward humor throughout the movie Mm -hmm. but what it is it it doesn't feel like it's that natural chemistry like to cross compare to maybe zendaya and tom holland Mm -hmm. like those those two as a real life couple when you see them on screen together it there is actual like intimate electricity happening Mm -hmm. while this i mean uh they i mean they're actors they're, they're doing their best trying to make those emotions happen but it doesn't feel as natural as we could see with, I mean, most any other couple we've seen recently. And, and I mean, again, cross comparing with the, the Batman even, right. which is one that felt a little forced to me. Mm-hmm. But even still, like I felt a little more chemistry in that relationship yeah. than this. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, I felt more chemistry between um, Tessa Thompson's Valkyrie and Jane Foster than Agreed. I did with yes. <laughs> Chris yeah. Hemsworth and I, I totally Jane agree. Foster. Uh, so, you know, read into that what you want. But, yeah, so, you know, it's it's hard. And like you said, when they're playing it as, oh, they're exes and it's awkward, like, well, that actually worked because they do seem kind of awkward. But, you know, whether it works in other ways is, uh, I don't know, your, your mileage may vary on that. So I get that complaint. Now, the other big main character that's added in this is Christian Bale playing Gore the God Butcher. You know, I talked about him in the, the last episode as as the big villain. He's the villain in the... Thor, God of Thunder comic series, and, uh, you know, his motivation, you know, this is the first scene in the movie, so it's not much of a spoiler, right? He he does not like gods. We'll just, we'll just leave it at that, and you can watch the movie, but how did you, how did you feel about Christian Bale? I mean, again, a very talented actor. Does he fit in the movie well? What do you think about what they did with him and his character? I mean, from his casting, my first thought was with, with Christian Bale being famously a method actor, I'm like, what is he going to do to be method as, as Gore? And, you know, I I liked I liked him good. I liked him fine, I'll say, because I think that given the cast that he's around, I think he's kind of at a different different level for different reasons. Uh, at, without breaking into the story, I won't get too much into that yet. But I will say that as kind of a humorous thing, I I watched of the various Marvel released interviews. Um, this is a non spoiler thing, but he was asked in a in a tweet form like. Now that you've lived long enough to see yourself become the villain, you know, what's it like to play the role? And his response was this. He said something to the effect of playing a villain is the easiest job in the world. Don't let anybody tell you different. He says playing Thor, that's hard. Playing Thor in every movie, that's hard. But being being the bad guy, it's the easiest job. And he says the only reason he took it was because his kids made him. 
which to me is the most Christian Bale response right. to, I mean, in an interview about a Marvel movie. Yeah. I mean, I believe the inter- the internet rumor was something like he when when he was when it was brought to him, he's like, "What's the MCU? I don't even know what that is." Yeah. He probably yeah. either doesn't pay attention or honestly didn't care. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's already kind of surprising that he's played a superhero that he was Batman. So the idea that like, oh, he's gonna come back and do a Marvel movie too. Wow. Okay. Uh, you know, they got lots of money to get whoever they want. And, you know, I think, you know, he did, in some ways, it seemed like he was having a good time with it. I mean, you kind of get to ham it up a little bit as the villain. And and I thought it was pretty convincing. And like I said, there were horror elements to it at times, especially. And I think he, he did a good job leaning into that. Uh, you know, going back to the direction, there's an interesting set piece about halfway through the movie that uh, really plays into that. Um, and so, yeah, I think... I think he did well with it. He does seem like he doesn't quite fit as well, but I mean, plenty of people have talked about, you know, Marvel and its villain problem that there are so many Marvel movies where the villain is just like, kind of like the hero, but in a different way. And this is not that right. The, the best villains where you can say, well, they have a point, right. And they go a little too far with their, with their point, but you can see where they're coming from. And you know, since I've already mentioned on the podcast, him, uh, his distaste for the gods, like, okay, I get it. You know, there's, there's a good point there. And so he is a little bit sympathetic. And when we get to the spoilery section, we'll talk about the very end of the film and, and how that fits into it. It's, it's a fun movie. And yet, like we said, it's not just like jokes after jokes, right? There is, there's serious, uh, themes to the movie and, for the most part, I think it balances. Again, my only complaint would be sometimes it moves a little too quick and doesn't let the the hard, like the sad, intense moments really hit. You know, this is, and again, it's not just a flaw with this movie or Ragnarok, but a lot of Marvel movies, it's just, they have to make a joke. They can't just let things be serious because, you know, it's like, well, if you get too serious, then it, it's easier to make fun of. So that it's like they make fun of themselves first, but it doesn't give it the weight, right? Like, I feel like the Doctor Strange movies are really bad about this too, right? Like, he's just got to make a joke about every single thing, and it actually, like, takes away a lot of the weight. And so that happens here some too, but I think that's a bigger Marvel problem in general is they want to make every character funny instead of just letting them, you know, actually take things seriously when it's when it's serious sometimes. Yeah, agreed. I mean, on that, on that note, you can... I mean, you can really just look at the the timeline and figure out exactly when that change happens. Like when Disney buys, buys out Marvel, you see that kind of difference happening. Cause even the jokes and stuff in the first Iron Man movie, they're not, it's not the end of every scene ends in that. Like there's some stuff in that that you're like, Oh, this is heavy. This is kind of intense. Um, and, and even like my personal favorite is winter soldier. And even that, like they still at moments where they don't really need to, they'll still have that joke happen. And that was one of the more, I would say serious movies Mm -hmm. overall. Yeah, yeah. So the problems with this sometimes are just problems with the Marvel movies in general, but I know we're both fans of of the series. As we mentioned, we grew up as comic book nerds, and I never want to lose sight of the fact that like we're getting these amazingly well-made comic book movies multiple times a year. What a time to be alive for a nerd. (laughs) Uh, So these are complaints coming from a place of love. Uh, You know, and I mean, we know these stories. You know, we're coming to these movies, especially this one, as an adaptation, right? Like we've read the the Jason Aaron run of of Thor with 
Jane as Thor with Gore the God Butcher. And so it's, I don't know, it might be helpful to get the perspective of someone who didn't know the story and didn't know how they were adapting it. So again, that's affecting the way that, that we're reading it. You know, if you're coming to it fresh, I'd be curious to see what you think, if it's still all that still works, if there was more you wish you got from it. Uh, but any any last thoughts about the movie itself before we start spoiling the crap out of it? I am well more than ready to jump in. Okay, so right here we're going to put in uh, our giant spoiler warning. Okay, so if you haven't seen the movie yet, <laughs> stop listening. Future Me will come in and tell you what time to jump to. So jump there now, and we're going to start spoiling the movie here. This is future editor Chris coming in to tell you to jump to 38 minutes and 25 seconds to avoid spoilers. See you there. So one of the, the big things that is a big thing in the comics, but I don't think is revealed in the trailers about Jane Foster, is uh, that she is actually struggling with cancer. Right? And so she's at her lowest point and is dying, and she gets the power of Mjolnir to become Thor as a way to kind of overcome that cancer, or at least you know have like a second life, I think she says, towards the end. Uh, now, in the comics, this is kind of a longer storyline where she's Thor you know, in, in the comics for over a year, a couple of years probably. Whereas here, that's kind of just confined to, a, to one movie, right? And so at the end of the movie, she actually sacrifices herself. So I don't know, how'd you feel about how they used her storyline? Uh, do you wish you had gotten more of it or they had done something different there? I think they did it in a way that was cl- like clean and, and kind of easy to use within the Marvel cinematic. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, sometimes we as nerds can get hung up on accuracy to the comics. Oh, yes. And, and I think that, you know, I would hope that I've grown to the point where I can see, well, they're trying to work within it, within the world that the universe that they've created, and also how is it digestible for the audience, not necessarily by super nerds like myself mm-hmm. or yourself. And so I think given those factors, it worked out pretty cleanly. I mean, again, we, we see Thor in this movie with Odin-like power to whisper into weapons and to and to grant blessings and gifts through these things. And, and he requests that his hammer protect her. Right, and that kind of works in with this a little differently than it does in comic books, and and I think that with her and the sacrifice and everything, I think that was kind of like it's a way it's a way to bring Natalie Portman back, have a character make a really dramatic, powerful impact, and then tidy it up nice and easy, yeah. nice and good, right at the end. So um, I like that because we get we kind of get into that groove of well, what's going the next one going to be like with this character now that we have two Thors or something. That's not necessarily the case here. I won't rule it out because you never right. know. Yeah, I mean, nobody stays dead in comics. <laughs> yes. But as the you know, rule. as we can take it from what we saw, like her story's over. Right. Yeah. And yeah. So I'm a little like I'm a little surprised, but not necessarily in a bad way because you know, you look at what they've done with like the other big three Avengers or really all the Avengers from the original movie. They've all kind of passed the torch, uh, right? So Sam Wilson is becoming Captain America. Someone else is probably going to be Iron Man. I think they're doing an Ironheart series uh, that'll pick that up. You know, Black Widow is gone, but um, Yelena might take over as Black Widow, right? So we're seeing that seems to be the trend in this phase. So you kind of, at least I sort of assume coming into this, okay, so Chris Hemsworth Thor is stepping down and then Natalie Portman Thor is going to take over. So... It's a little surprising they didn't do that, but maybe that's not necessarily a bad thing. 
and I think it fits the the story of the movie too, right? Like Thor Odinson, right? It's we got Odinson and Mighty Thor to disambiguate here. Odinson is he's trying to find a reason to live, right? Something to live for, uh, find something worth loving and living for. Whereas Jane Foster, Mighty Thor, is right trying to do something with the last time that she has. And so that's she's able to do that. It, you know, she ends up sacrificing her life at the end. But it was that felt like a more natural conclusion for her than you know if if Odinson had uh, sacrificed himself so that she could live. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, taking into the account that if you know Thor Odinson is this, uh, as long as we can, as as far as we can tell, immortal, like he can live for as until his life is halted, type of deal. Uh, by na- unnatural circumstance, he might be this consistent figure as all of the Avengers and things around him change. And I kind of, I, I mean, I thought there was a chance before seeing the movie that maybe they would go that route. Um, but I would, I still assume because, like, you know, honestly, Hemsworth's not that old either. Like, he's, I don't think he's even yet as old as Robert Downey was when he started, when, you know, back in. Right you know, 07 when he was cast or whatever. So like, he's got a lot of time left and I think he legitimately enjoys it. So I sort of imagine if they did it where Mighty Thor was going to hang around, they had to do with like an unworthy type story arc with him. Although in reality, we've already seen that. So that was why I'm like, well, they also wouldn't do that again. Yeah. Yeah. He already already had his lowest point. Right. So uh, yeah, I think for, for where the story is, where the actors are, like you mentioned, I think that actually does work pretty well. And yeah, I'm not surprised. Maybe Natalie, Natalie Portman, she came back for one, but that's probably all that she wanted to do. I mean, again, Marvel and Disney have all the money in the world, so maybe they can persuade her. I mean, we did get in the, the post credit scene, you know, she's at Valhalla, which maybe is leaving open the door for her to come back. As you said, nobody stays dead in comics, and that's at least a way of saying, like, hey, she still exists, even if it's in, you know, a Valhalla, so she's not really alive. My thinking about the Valhalla thing is that it's, it might be, I think it's less about them saying these characters might come back, which again, not totally ruling it out because it's, you know, comics, movies, whatever. Characters are never always dead. But I think that they show the Valhalla thing at the end to say because they've mentioned it several times throughout the movie, which I think remarkably might be the first movie they've even mentioned Valhalla. Yeah, I think so. In regards to all the, you know, the, the Asgardian type folks. Um, but anyway, I think they've mentioned enough times that when we see one of our main characters die in battle, I think they really wanted to show us, hey, Valhalla exists. Yeah. Well, and also the idea that, you know, this actually isn't Norse mythology. In Norse mythology, anyone who dies like an honorable death in battle goes to Valhalla. But they say if you pay attention to the movie, they're very clear that gods who die in battle can go to Valhalla. And so I think it's an interesting idea that Jane Foster, who was human, who just took on the power of Thor, she gets included in this, right? Mm-hmm. So in some way she achieves godhood uh, because of, you know, how she uh, used her power because of her self-sacrifice. And so I think that's that's a pretty powerful idea, especially as we're thinking about, you know, what does it mean to be a god? We'll come back to that in a second. But it, it kind of includes her there uh, by letting her go to Valhalla. Now, uh, one of the other big parts I wanted to talk about is the end of the movie. So, you know, the, the big thing, they're trying to stop Gore from finding the well of eternity. It's basically, you know, someone just calls it a wishing well, which like, well, yeah, I guess. 
Um, and you know, I saw some nerd point out like, well, why didn't Thanos go after this? Why didn't, if Thor knew about it, why didn't he go and fix things there? Don't, these are the nerd questions you need to just ignore and enjoy the movie. But when uh, Gore actually gets there, basically, he basically wins, right? Thor and Jane Foster, Mighty Thor, aren't able to stop him from getting there. And in the end, they're like, okay, well, do what you need to do. I'm going to go be with the person that I love, right? Jane is dying at this point, and Odinson goes to her instead of trying to stop Gore. And they just encourage him, hey, instead of choosing revenge, why don't you choose love? And, and that's what he does, basically, by bringing uh, his daughter back. So what did you think about that? Was that surprising to you? What do you think they were trying to do with that? I mean, I'm trying to think about, you know, the theology of Gore overall, like his mm-hmm. like his views on gods. And if we haven't mentioned it yet, like it is core to his character that, and it's a little different in the movie than the comics, but essentially mm-hmm. his people are completely wiped out despite all their prayers, beggings, mm-hmm. and, plea- and, and please, 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 please for savings from their God. And... And in this case, like the you know he he meets his god, and his god laughs in his face and yeah. basically says, you know what, I don't you, you could just die, I you yeah. know, and so you, when you come from that, and he is gifted from wherever you know in the universe this this dark necro sword comes yeah. alive and all of that you know comic book nonsense that we love so much, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it chooses him and he starts the slaying. He starts slaying God specifically, and. When you get, he, he's made it all the way to where his whole plan has come to fruition. He has that opportunity with one single wish, which I want to say one single wish or one single prayer here, because I think it's very <laughs> right. interesting. Yeah, he's basically <laughs> praying to a god he's, at the end. Yeah, I mean, I mean, is his, that not the, what eternity is? Because the god that he finds is a comic book entity. Like eternity exists in comics. If you mm-hmm. have the opportunity to ever read any of uh, kind of the out there more out there 70s cosmic comic books mm-hmm. written by folks on LSD and yeah, all that and stuff. Stoners. They basically have concocted all the different aspects of the universe have personalities. They, they have turned mm-hmm. them into some humanoid form or another. And eternity is one of those things. So when we have this scene where he is on his knees, like kneeling before yeah, eternity. He's got a hand raised. Yeah, he's got prayer hands up. Like It looks like for someone who has felt like both the gods have forsaken him and he's completely left them. I mean, he's murdered them by this point. He does look like he's praying. So he's got everything he wants. Everything's in place. But I think that what he maybe is realizing and why I'm not I'm not surprised by this ending is that from the beginning, if his God had shown him love, if, you know, if if he had responded somewhere along the way with love, like this wouldn't this would have happened, but it wouldn't have happened. Like that's maybe what was missing and that he has the opportunity here where yes he could strike revenge which i mean if we we talk we could talk about possession and all these things that this sword is doing to him it might be might be altering his thoughts but it's not really what he wanted was to murder everybody what he wanted was a life for his daughter right. and so in choosing that in that different wish instead despite it costing him his life that I mean, that's I think that's more in line from the beginning of the movie, from the beginning of his character. What he wants is just for his daughter to survive and have a life of her own, um, whether or not there are gods involved. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, that's an interesting concept, right? And and I think I mentioned this last week in the comics, like as Gore is amassing all of this power and enslaving all of these gods and murdering so many of them, 
he's kind of a god himself, right? And and like we mentioned, he kind of has godlike power at the end because he can make this wish to do whatever he wants. And so, yeah, now that he's a god, basically, or can do a godlike thing, what is he going to do with it? Is he going to be the god that he wishes the gods were, or is he going to be like all the other horrible gods? And so, yeah, I think that that's where the theme, I think, comes around really well of, no, like, choose mercy, choose love, like they tell him to, and, you know, create the world that you that you wish you had had for your daughter, and, you know, by bringing her back, and she's able to. And so, um, yeah, I love that. Again, I wasn't expecting that they would end with Thor becoming a dad and and you know raising the daughter, but yeah, I think that definitely opens up. That was a I I didn't I didn't see that because again the Thor that we've seen, especially as he's sort of childlike at times in in the the Ragnarok in this movie, like he's kind of the butt of a lot of jokes and everything. To see him in that moment for himself too, because how many times has he chosen to? take the violent path himself or in sacrifice himself, attempt to sacrifice himself at times. And it's always like, well, if I can't beat it to death, then I'm going to throw myself into it, to, you know? And so for him at the end, just to be like, you know what? I'm done fighting you. I'm going to love on the person I love. It's your choice. Whatever you do is what you're going to do. And then to come out of that with him being a parent, it, that, that to me was the surprise. That was the surprise ending that I wasn't expecting. Yeah. And it's, you know, yeah, it's choosing love, but maybe even not in, even the love that you might expect, right? And I think I, I'd even seen some things about this in interviews ahead of time from Taika Waititi of, yeah, it's about love and thunder, but that love may not be exactly what you're expecting. And so, yeah, it's it's going to be the love of this adopted child that that's what gets him to open his heart back up. You know, Jane started that process, obviously, but um, that's where it's actually going to go and in, in that kind of love. Which on the on the subject of how they approach love in this movie, like it doesn't feel like they really talk about love throughout it so much, overtly. It's kind of subtle because they talk about uh, and and to use the phrase that they use in the movie a lot, like love is shitty. Like they talk about how it feels <laughs> like that, and right. so you you have this. I think this is where the growth happens for Thor is when he's having these more mature feelings around what it means to love somebody else and how. You can't control them. You can't make them do what you want them to do or be around you all the time. And that maybe that means like you have to let them choose for themselves, which is what ends up happening with her. Because he insists for 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 mighty Thor, you know, for her to stay in bed and not get up and, you know, save the day. But it ultimately is her choice. Right. And he and I, I'm very glad that he said that, you know, like it's your choice. Right. I would just feel bad if I didn't say this. Um, so, yeah, like it's. Love lets people choose, which is actually something I talked about last week, right? That, that we think of a God as, as a being that can force their will on someone else. And a lot of people think that's what the Christian God does. But, you know, I believe in if God is love, then, yeah, it's giving a choice too. Um, and so instead of killing Gore, you give him the choice. You tell him, you know, this is, you make your case for what's best and you encourage what's best, but people are free. And, and in the same way, Jane... Um, you know, he's not going to force her to sacrifice herself. He's not going to force her to to stay in bed and and get better. It's up to her. And so, you know, it's it's only a meaningful self sacrifice if you choose it. And that's what I think. It's pretty consistent in that theme of letting people do that. Um, and and good comes from allowing those choices. Circle back with with Gore and his last you know prayers. If you think of the logistics of what he does at the end after he's done the wishing well and his daughter's brought back, 
he he does have one more prayer request, and that's when he asks Thor if he will take care of his daughter, which is what he asked you know his own god to do at the very beginning, and there was no response. So like he still get kind of he still gets that effect at the end where he right. has he's, a yeah, god. Yeah, he's still asking to a god to take care of his daughter. I hadn't thought about it that way. So but. I mean, in that in that sense, I guess. Even though it's surprising, like that is Thor in his own way answering a prayer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll we'll get back to this idea of what it means to be a god in just a second. Um, last spoiler thing: the other credit scene, um, which you know we weren't too surprised to to see that we're introduced to the character of Hercules. You know, this is a character that has been associated with Thor for a while, and we've got Roy Kent. Roy's our boy. Brett Goldstein is the actor, go. yeah. <laughs> Brett Goldstein, I can only thank Roy Kent from Ted Lasso, coming in as Hercules. So are you excited about that? What do you think they're going to do with, with that storyline? Well, I, I'm very excited with the casting. If you've not watched Ted Lasso, I would advise it. And also, his character is by far my favorite for a number of reasons. Anybody who knows me can figure out why. But he's he's definitely, he doesn't, he says what he means to say. He's that type of guy. And I think that that t- like taking that type of character and that energy that we've seen with that, I think that's probably their thinking in putting it into Hercules, because in comic book form, Hercules and Thor are not unlike each other. I mean, when you read the comics, they speak in that in that old English King James, style, King yeah. James talk, and and it's very out of place at times where he's hanging out. You'll if you've read any of the um, like the two thousand eight, two thousand ten ish Hercules self titled stuff. He hangs out in local bars, and he's definitely out of place because he's in his whole like yeah Greek warrior garb, and yet speaking that these and thous. Um, but anyway, he's not unlike Thor in personality. I mean, he's a demigod, and, all, and Marvel takes a little different path with him than traditional Greek mythology because he has obtained like full god status or some effect. He is the god of power, is how he's displayed. So thinking about that and seeing him at the end of this movie being employed by his father, Zeus, to do something about the fact that superheroes have run amok and everyone treats them like gods now. So maybe the gods need to step back in and become, you know, known for what they've been known for, striking fear into the hearts of the people, which is what Zeus, that's right. what he makes an evidence. He's like, they're not afraid of us anymore. Right. And yeah, is that is that what a god is? All right. Well, we're going to jump back to non-spoiler stuff, pick up some of these themes we were just talking about in a slightly less spoilery way. This is future editor Chris again to tell you you are now safe from spoilers. Welcome back, everyone. If you've uh, skipped that last section, uh, we're going to think just a little bit about the themes uh, that we talked about some last week and the themes of the movie when it comes to, you know, like the theology of Thor, basically. So we've been talking about, you know, what does it mean to, to be a god? Uh, so how did you see them kind of defining godhood in this movie through some of the different characters? I think the movie the movie does it in a way where there's like these figures that are so powerful and and, and place themselves in a, in a lot of sense above or physically separated from people and they have powers or they're you know, more rich or whatever it is about them. I'm I'm again trying to avoid spoilers with it specifically. But I think about, as we've seen previously with the Asgardians, like they think of, they thought of themselves, some of them as gods over the humans, but they live on a practically different planet. Um, so I think that the MCU sets it up as that, that large separation between they have power and humans are just humans. Um, I think the comics is similar, but we could 
we I mean we can make the claim like you've done before you know Superman could be seen as a god not just because he's from a different planet and has all these power but that we are looking up to him and asking him for help to save us and that's mm-hmm. yeah and and yeah Thor functions in a similar way in some ways in the movie and, and especially in some comics where like people actually are praying to him but yeah is that it really that different anytime that someone is calling out for a superhero to help them right is that basically prayer and yeah, this movie gets into it a little deeper. Like you mentioned, the early MCU is like, yeah, they're just powerful beings from somewhere else that people used to worship as gods. But I mean, they pretty explicitly call Thor and you know all the other gods that you that you meet through the movie like, you know, they're they're gods and and these are who exactly who people were worshiping. And you know, as as we mentioned a little bit in the spoiler area, and we won't spoil it here. There's a character who complains like, well, yeah, these superheroes now they've just replaced us. And it's like, well, yeah, they, they kind of are serving in that same role if the role of a god is who people look up to and who people ask for help. And I don't know if the movie really does much to say if there is much of a difference other than, you know, gods have been around for a long time and, you know, these superheroes are still mortal, but they're, they're doing the same things, right? They just have power and they use that to help. And that's, that's what makes someone a god, it seems like. Uh, but to go back to, you know, the question that, uh, we looked at last week with the character of Gore and is a big theme in this movie. Is Gore right about the gods that, that we see in this movie? <laughs> Do all of the gods suck and deserve to, to go away, as he thinks? I mean, it's, it's, I think it's easy to see through his eyes why he would feel that way. I mean, in, I, in trying to avoid spoilers once again, I'm going to keep saying that because I <laughs> remind myself not to say anything. But to see such like devastating things happen in your life after you have prayed and prayed and prayed, it is really easy to see how someone like Gore could feel betrayed and and maybe take that radical course that he does. Um, it's it's easy to fall into that, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, again, we talk about the problem of evil or theodicy is the nerd word for it, but yeah, most of us probably felt that way at some point of, I asked God for this and it didn't happen. And so, you know, this is the interesting thing about you know, pop culture and comic books and things, it presents this new scenario of, okay, it's the same experience that we've all had of feeling like God let us down, but what if then you had this power to do something about it and, like, take your revenge, right? And, you know, does does he go too far with it? Yeah, I think that's pretty easy to say, and yet most of the God characters in the movie are fairly terrible, uh, either actively or they just don't care Thor is kind of the exception, right? And really, most of the Asgardians seem to care about humanity and and want to to do good. So I don't know if they're just kind of contrasting Thor with everyone else, or you know, it would have been nice if there were a little more nuance to you know how all the different gods are. But it's mostly just Thor and then all the other gods who are terrible, because it doesn't really make sense, right? Like, why would God Gore want to get rid of Thor, right? He's not. He actually is helping people, and Gore is the one that's just causing problems and devastation, and Thor is, you know, answering cries for help. So it it becomes a little inconsistent, but I think it kind of has to be right for villains. They can't be 100% right, otherwise they're not really villainous. And so, yeah, Gore, I would say, was wrong about Thor because Thor is trying to be the the god that I think uh, Thor or Gore would want to believe in. It's kind of hard when their names rhyme like that. All right, so 
you know, this idea again, going back to the title of the movie and what we talked about last week, uh, that God, I think, is best defined by love. So where do you see Thor as a god of love? We talked about some of this with the spoilery kind of stuff, but just in general, both Thor Odinson and Jane Foster's Mighty Thor, where where do you see love motivating them? Is Is that what makes them worthy? I think this is what Thor makes him relatable and less godlike, is that he's trying to figure out love. And that's kind of his arc through this movie. I mean, we've seen him pull himself out of depression and that sort of thing, as we've seen in the trailers for it, as he's getting back into shape and all of that. But it's it's that growth factor, like, what, how, how, do, how do I show love? How do I become love? How do I do these things? And, and for Mighty Thor, honestly, it's hard to say, because it's, it's, it's such, such a short time that we see her, Natalie Portman, back as the character at all. And... Yeah, that's that's one of the failings of she just has one movie and she's not the main character is you don't get enough of her motivation. Uh, that would have been nice to get to explore a little bit more of you know why she's doing this. Or, or it seemed like she was doing other stuff as Thor that we don't get to see for a little bit at least. So yeah, how much that motivates it. But it as we mentioned in the, <laughs> the middle section, it does obviously motivate some of their choices at the end of the movie. And yeah, but you know because these are you know, human, you know, she's a human character. I mean, even though Thor has been around for a long time, like you said, he's on a growth process, which tends to not be the way that we think about, you know, a a monotheistic God. There are some versions of theology that think of God in in that process. But yeah, it's, it's a little bit different. But I think you can still see, right? Love is such a big theme in this movie. It's in the title. Uh, but it's it's motivating them. And like you said, they're they're trying to work out what it means to act in love and you know what what does it mean to be worthy right that's a big that's always the big question with thor and it is i think to me it's the willingness to try and do good even if you know it's going to be flawed at times uh that's that's what's motivating him and that is what makes him uh better than a lot of the gods that that gore is upset with uh, thor is trying to do something more as imperfect as it may be sometimes well, so that uh, kind of wraps up our, our discussion of Thor Love and Thunder. If you've seen it, uh, be curious to see what you think. If you haven't seen it yet, go and see it so you can listen to all of this podcast. Uh, like we said, we, I think we both enjoyed it. There's minor issues, but uh, it's a great summer film, a lot of fun, and some interesting things to think about when it comes to the theology of Thor. Well, as we're coming to the close of the episode, we want to do are pop culture consolations and desolations. This is where we think about what in pop culture has been giving us life and uh, what has been anti-life. So, Adam, any uh, recommendations, things that you've enjoyed, uh, or anything that has not lived up to your expectations recently? Well, of the of the two things I have watched recently, I've really enjoyed, uh, and it's Stranger Things is a big one for me. That one I, always brings me back in, even when it has its low points as a show. That one always gets me. And then uh, The Boys. If you watch The Boys, which is another comic book-based uh, TV series, The Boys is like, the, it just ended its fourth season, third season, I'm sorry, third season. And it is, I mean, it is not for children. It is not for a lot of adults. There are episodes of this particular season that... They'll tell you. I mean, I'm very sure at the beginning of one episode it said, do not watch this. They just told you, don't watch it. 
I love that show. It makes me feel really great. Um, that those are I mean, my my consolations for the for the week. Okay. Okay. Any any desolations this week? Anything that didn't live up to what you hoped it would be? I'm pretty well curated in my interests, so I try really hard to, to break away from stuff before it gets too bad. Don't, don't waste your time with shows and and yeah, things that aren't worth it. Well, yeah, for me, I, I guess really I would just it's kind of a mixed review, so I'm gonna just combine them and talk about Miss Marvel, uh, the show on Disney Plus. Overall, I am really enjoying it. Uh, I think it's a really good take on a really great character, one of the best, probably the best recent character that Marvel has created. Uh, the the lead actress, Amon Vellani, I think is her name. Uh, she's just perfect in this role as, you know, she's a fan of Avengers and the Marvel Universe, and then she becomes a superhero herself. And it's got kind of this, you know, YA vibe, especially at the beginning where she's in high school and trying to balance, you know, getting superpowers and boys and all this kind of stuff. So my only, like, complaint, which would be the desolation, I guess, is... You know, it's only six episodes, and I feel like there are two separate seasons in the in the show uh, because the first few are about her, you know, in Jersey and and learning all this stuff, and then it jumps to Pakistan and gets a lot into like her family history and where the powers come from, and they're both really good stories and really moving, but it just feels like it was too much of a shift. And if if I were writing it. I would have done, you know, a season that's all just the YA kind of vibe and then another season that gets into the backstory because it, it just kind of shortchanges both of them, I think. But overall, it's great. Uh, the last episode's going to drop this week, uh, so I haven't seen it yet, but I'm excited to see how it wraps up. And then I guess she's going to get worked into the MCU with uh, the next Captain Marvel movie. So I'm excited for that. Uh, so I would recommend it. I wish they had done some things a little bit different, but, you know, how we nerds are. We always uh, know better than everyone else. Well, as we close today, we always have to get serious for a moment. Your life is short. You are not an immortal god like Thor. You only have the time that you have. So how can you make the most of that time? And what better way to make the most than listening to this podcast like you're doing, and more importantly, to make sure others are making the most of their lives by also listening to this podcast. So if you haven't shared or commented or liked or subscribed yet, I encourage you to do that so that everyone else can be blessed as you have been blessed today. Thank you again for joining us today. A big thanks to my guest, Adam Byers. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Pop Culture Pastor for more content. Our theme song is Be Thou My Vision from the 8-Bit Hymnal by Mr. Tyler Larson. Join us next week as we talk about Beyonce's Lemonade and the Old Testament prophets. You are now dismissed. Go in peace.